So Thanksgiving is happening this week, which I know is not news to any of you, but I felt the need to say it. I needed to start the sermon with that word, Thanksgiving, because I'm looking forward to it, to the food and uh, to the football and to, to being with family and even to the fine art of gently, um, gently steering and navigating conversations away from politics. All of it. I look forward to it every year. Every year, it seems, uh, a respite, if only for a day, from the swirl of living in these times. And then I looked at the reading for today, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, when we can already taste the turkey and the ham and the deviled eggs, And this is what I see. Jesus is like that one cousin or uncle who shows up every year and you have to watch him like a hawk because he's going to say something inappropriate and mess the whole vibe up. You know, the disciples are from the country. They're from Galilee. They are legitimately impressed with the large stones and the big buildings in the temple complex. They remind me of a time when our family was riding bikes through uh, Seagrove Beach, Florida. Many of you have been there and ridden bikes there. We were crossing the street. We weren't on our bikes. We were pushing them across the street when a car ran right through the bike crossing and stopped suddenly on the other side And a guy yelled out the window, really sorry about that. We're from Alabama. We ain't got no bike paths in Alabama. They ain't got no big buildings and large stones in Galilee. But when the disciples point them out in their awe, legitimate awe, Jesus responds not with, gentle understanding, but with a heart-stopping pronouncement. Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. And a happy Thanksgiving to you all. Let's be honest. Thanksgiving Day sometimes happens in the midst of of all the stones being thrown down. This year, right down the road from those bike paths in Seagrove, turkey and dressing will be served in Panama City and up and down the Florida Panhandle in shelters and missions and the open doors of kind neighbors who were lucky enough to be spared while all around them is unimaginable devastation. What do you do when your world, the one you thought you knew so well, comes tumbling down in in an instant? Do you? Can you give thanks in the midst of that? 
You know, when the Gospel of Mark was written, the worst thing imaginable to any Jewish human being had happened. After a failed rebellion against the Roman Empire, the Romans came down for a second time, and this time they meant business. They came into Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple. Hardly any stone was left standing on another. The Romans humiliated the Jews by desecrating the temple and then leaving its smoldering rubble as a warning to any others who had thoughts of taking up arms against the mighty Roman Empire. So the church... Imagine yourself in the church hearing these words being read aloud and you are right in the middle of the unthinkable. Lives that were centered in the temple had been completely thrown off center. The world was now unknown to them. And during that tumult, they hear these words of Jesus. Do not be alarmed. Do not be alarmed. I was taken off guard by a story on NPR last week. It was unlike uh, most reporting that goes on in the midst of devastating news. The reporter was actually riding with a man who was trying to get to his house in Paradise, California. His wife was one of the over 600 people still unaccounted for in the aftermath of the devastating wildfires there. As they drove, the man is talking to the reporter, and you can hear the sound of the truck and the roads, and he's talking to her about how he had left his house when the fires were going on far down below them. He was going to offer help to neighbors. He did not believe his house was in trouble. Listening to him talk as they drove, he noticed some homes were gone completely. Some were melted into unrecognizable forms. And some were standing pretty much unscathed. He is at times hopeful that his wife will be waiting for him in their home, unable to call because cell service is down. And then you hear him say, in real time, there's my driveway. And he gasps, and he begins moaning. His house is burned to the ground. And he says over and over, I know she's gone. She's gone. She's gone. His wife of 37 years. Gone. What do you do when the world as you have known it, the familiar person who has accompanied you through 37 years of living, is suddenly gone? Your whole world is thrown off-center. We are greeted in our worship today with a text most preachers would rather avoid, including this one. 
It is a piece of what is called apocalyptic literature. And apocalypse has acquired something of a bad name in our culture. Far too many people of the sort that Jesus warns about here have taken this literature and used it to do the very opposite of what Jesus intended. They've taken it and tried to strike fear where Jesus says, do not be alarmed. I know someone who has taken these words of Jesus and used them as justification to build something of a cellar fortress with supplies that could last he and his family for years and guns, so many guns, an arsenal in that cellar fortress. He talks about the end times with a sense of fear and foreboding. When the world ends, he wants to be ready for the apocalypse. I understand in a way. I sometimes can get in that fortress space in my own head and heart. But apocalyptic literature was not written to make us fearful. The word literally means, apocalypse literally means to lift the veil, to lift the veil. And it was always intended to speak to communities who were experiencing pain and persecution, the falling apart of their world, and say to them, fear not. Because no matter what things look like on the surface, when you lift the veil, you will find God at work. The God who brings life in the midst of death. Jürgen Moltmann writes, No one can assure us that the worst will not happen. According to all the laws of experience, it will We can only trust that even the end of the world hides a new beginning if we trust the God who calls into being the things that are not and out of death creates new life. It's very easy in times like these for us to be afraid. If you are afraid, if the people who live in Panama City and Syria, and California, and Honduras are afraid, it is certainly understandable. Emotions are not right or wrong, they simply are. But it is one thing to feel fear. It is quite another to act out of fear, to allow fear to become the thing that drives our behaviors and the ways we treat one another, to cause us to build fortresses and stockpile armaments. Even more threatening is when fear becomes so entrenched that it colors our faith, turning us inward, poisoning our ability to trust God, to trust one another. Apocalyptic invites us to see behind the veil. With the walls crumbling all around, to dare to live as if that promised day that we see were already fully here. This is not the end. 
the way things are is not the way they are intended to be. When you lift the veil, you see another vision. It has always been there, always summoning the world to a day that is being born. These are, says Jesus, birth pains. And birth can be a fearful thing. It is not without risk being born. But the day that is being born among us is the day of God. The God who has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. The God who calls into being the things that are not and out of death brings new life. When the disciples and Jesus take their place on the Mount of Olives, looking down on the temple complex, they want to know privately from him when these things will be. But those who were listening to these gospel words years later knew exactly when these things would be. They were living in it. We are living in it. Earthquakes in various places, famines, wars and rumors of wars, hurricanes and wildfires, terrorism, massive displacement of human beings by all these things, homelessness, hunger, and the siren song of those who would lead us astray, who would tell us to be afraid, to hunker down, to not trust our neighbor, to fear the other, who come saying, I am he, Listen to me. Jesus, sitting down on the Mount of Olives, speaks still to his church in the 21st century. Do not be alarmed. Do not be led astray. Do not be diverted from the way that I am. These are birth pains, not death throes. Lift the veil and you will see. The question then becomes, how shall we live now that we have seen beneath the veil? How shall we then live? This week in America gives us a chance to consider whether the answer to this question lies in thanksgiving, in gratitude, in gratefulness. Diana Butler Bass, in her book entitled Grateful, says this. Every day there are reasons not to feel grateful and not to practice gratitude. Terrible, distressing, painful, and awful things happen all the time. The emotions of thanks elude us, and it is easy to choose ingratitude. Yet when I watch the news and fear grips my heart about whatever comes next, when a friend is diagnosed with cancer or when a loved one dies, that Bible verse I memorized as a teenager calls toward a better way. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. It does not say for everything, give thanks. 
Gratitude never calls us to give thanks for anything that is evil or unjust, never for violence or lying or oppression or suffering. Do not be grateful for these things. The Greek word is in, E-N, which means in, within, with, throughout. Gratefulness grounds our lives in the world and with others. Gratitude is a place, perhaps the place, where we find our truest and best selves. Thanksgiving gives us a real opportunity to give thanks in all things and to let that place of grace guide us into the living of all our days, not just Thursday. To respond to God's grace with gratitude and thanksgiving. To live toward God and one another with grateful hearts, even if the walls are falling down, is to see beneath the veil, to see what God is doing even now, to witness the birth of new life, and to embrace it and one another and this beloved world with hope and true joy. Thanks be to God, and a blessed and meaningful thanksgiving to you all. Amen.